You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Director Autobiography Edition. We're talking about the Fablemans, one of our rare new movies these days, getting increasingly rarer and rarer, but this is like a, a, a movie about the movies. A movie about the movies of our childhood. A movie about the movies of our childhood and where they came from and one man's account and sort of confessional of what he thinks his life amounted to and not just any man but the greatest populist filmmaker of our time and the the elder statesman of movies and of cinema and of everything movies and cinema steven spielberg anyway we're talking about the fablemans and we'll we'll get right to it jake and i just got out of the movie we walked out we walked to the car we had an agreement that it was the kind of thing that we should not talk about. Which I don't know if that would have gone for every movie necessarily. It probably would have. But this Most movie, movies, but this is definitely one of those movies that... This movie, it felt, it felt especially important to have all processing happen on In person, mic. on mic. So here it is. Especially in lieu of what happens in the movie. I, I guess, of course, it would be in lieu of... <laughs> <laughs> in lieu of what else? <laughs> So the Fablemans, uh, yeah, this is kind of, I, I think we might come back and do a more nuanced and considered take of the movie a little, bit, a little bit later. It's definitely a movie that will reward some contemplation, I think. Maybe Jake's about to say that it's trash and he already has every thought that he's ever going to have oh, about no. it. No, I don't have every thought. I'm, I'm going to have, It's It's complicated and Ben is going to be seeing it this holiday weekend and we will get back in the studio and talk about it with him. He is not with us. He's in Atlanta. I would not be surprised if our take in a week's time is entirely different than our take right now. Yes, you are getting to see us in real time, and hopefully it's helpful to you to hear us actually process. So, Jake, what is your... No, no, no. I want to know your thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Okay. I mean, I I could see myself going so many different ways after I think about this more. There's part of me that really loves it. Well, first of all, okay, spoilers. Okay, So, So we have to say spoilers. So you have, if if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, or if you just know film history then you might know the story of Spielberg. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me tell it at least you twice. You think you know this story of Spielberg. Well, exactly. <laughs> so this movie is a lot different and than the story that Spielberg usually tells. And it's not that I've remembered the details or recounted them to you wrong. It's that this movie, I think, is... It's a revision. It's a revision. And Spielberg's been revising his whole life. The story has changed. And his parents finally died a couple years ago. And so... You can watch the HBO documentary that came out, oh, I want to say 2010. It's got Arnold Spielberg and uh, Leia, or whatever her name was, Mitzi in the movie. The dad and mom, they're, they're on camera together. They're very sweet together. They're both going on 100. And they tell the story. And the story that Spielberg tells there is the story of how his dad took the bullet for a bad marriage and Steven Spielberg was was into his 30s before he realized that it was actually his mom who had who was cheating and that is not the story that this movie tells nope he knew all along he knew all along and you know inspired i mean, to hide it it's interesting to contemplate how much this movie is you know printing the legend especially considering how the movie ends <laughs> <laughs> which is wonderful well in it in it you know it's got you know it references liberty balance multiple times yes yes it does but 
if this is the story that Spielberg wants to be on record, if this is the story that he wants, then it's basically what? It's the story of how he discovered that his mom was cheating and maybe enabled his mom to cheat through this power that he was discovering in himself, his cinema, his art. Basically, in the movie, he the, the camera catches them. The big conceit of the movie is that the camera catches the relationship between mm-hmm. Spielberg's mother and her her dude is played by Seth Rogen. In dad desiring to to heal mom from the grief of of her mother's passing presses young Steven, Sammy, mm-hmm. into making the film, which then forces him to forces, discover the truth. Forces him he, to discover discover the truth and then he forces his mother to discover the truth. The way the movie tells it at least. Ish. I mean she she to at least reckon with it, to to at least face up to it, to yeah. face up with it, yeah, and to face, yeah, yeah, and then that's that's kind of the big thing in the movie. Where does one begin talking about this? So there are places in the movie where it feels like it's going about as hard on Spielberg's parents as you'd want it to go. There are places in the movie where, at least on first consideration, it feels like it's letting them both off the hook really easily. And I'm not really sure how to put it all together. Yeah, it's a so you, you you spend the first half of I would say something like this: you spend the first half of the movie thinking he feels really bad about his dad and about what his dad's been through and about dragging his dad. Mm-hmm. And then you think, okay, no, he's not going to let his dad off the hook either. I don't know. It's it's kind of a mess. Well, he starts out, yeah, and it's like, and it's really hard to. Can I get one thing off my chest? Yes. The first third of the movie was boring as boring can be, and I was counting the time. I did not find it to be boring. I, I really liked it. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. It is slow. It is elder statesman Spielberg for sure. Kind it's, of, it's what people are used to from The Post and Lincoln and Bridge of Spies. It's like, why make something take three minutes when you can make it take ten? There's it, a lot of that in the first third of the movie that I just felt like, oh man, come on. It just felt a special kind of self-indulgent when you're doing a, an autobiographical thing. But Yeah, I mean, I was happy right, enough to I'll be... I'll leave that out there and I, I can disagree with myself later. You can argue me out of that position. I was so Probably happy... Probably I will convince you. Maybe. I was so happy to be in in the hands of an old master. I mean, not to be a snob but there were things that i was like like for example i mean it's it's obvious okay but the first shot of the movie yes is is this this wonderful shot that starts up out as a close-up of the boy and then becomes a two shot with his dad and then becomes a two shot with his mom and then i think becomes a two shot of them both kind of diametrically opposed to each other and it's kind of just the whole movie in a nutshell yeah and you get like the you get the the caricatures of each right right like you know, dad's like explaining how f- frames per second trick your mind. You know, he's the engineer. And then mom says, it's, it's magic. It's magic. It's it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like over the top. But it is a very classic Spielberg setup of the nobody's actually on frame. Mm-hmm. And then we pan over or no, we cut whatever. Yeah, I, remember, I, think, yeah. I think we cut to a zoom the boy, just him. And mom and dad are completely out, out of frame, except for like maybe their hands or something like that. Right. But yeah. And then we're in dad's world and we're in, in mom, and then we're in mom's world. And then they're both kind of on either side, like the devil and the angel on his shoulder, yep. or the angel and the angel, or the devil and the devil, whatever you want to take away. 
And, and that, there are a lot of really Spielbergy things like that throughout the movie that are just like really fun and really yeah. Enjoyable. So on that level, I was you know if if if, if I'm going to let anyone be self indulgent, it's the maestro at seventy six or whatever he is. Like he's kind of earned it, I guess. But you're right. This would have been a better movie probably at two hours than two two thirty or whatever it ended up. I think so. Being. I think so. I think if it. I mean, if I was going to cut anything, I would say there's a section that makes an awful lot of blasphemous jokes. And also yeah, that just was pretty bad. Spielberg is always so queasy about sex. He always has been. It's just not his thing. And I don't need it to be his thing or want it to be his thing. But in later career Spielberg, he's like, well, I have to deal with this. I have to do it. I'm an adult filmmaker now. And he's not good at it. He's not comfortable with it. He just he just shouldn't do it because mm-hmm. he, he just doesn't know how to do it. And there's a there's a girl character in this movie that's a real caricature that should be more well-developed and i think he maybe maybe means for her to be a little bit more well-developed but he also wants her to be comic relief and it just doesn't work i don't think yeah so i mean on the basis of that one scene alone that one scene alone is enough to not show this movie to you the the girl scene yeah yeah no matter how many how, how interested they are in spielberg or in filmmaking or any of it yeah it might be an easy scene to fast forward I guess, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't. I'm not necessarily recommending that anybody show this to their kids. So, I don't know. There's so much stuff that feels. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this movie. Actually, I did. I did enjoy watching it. The emotions got to me. I mean, how could they not? Yeah, no, he's good at that. Family falling apart, and, and it does. And a lot have, of it done really well, and it does have that feeling of. Well, this is America's family falling apart. You know, this is the the iconic. The you know, this is Steven's this is the divorce that sparked a thousand divorces and you know, you know it, yeah. it, it, he did, a divorce that helped you process yeah, the, one the, of your thousand divorces. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, in that way it's, it both works and it works as drama and it works as legend and it sort of is anticlimactic because it's like, well, what was that much? What was, what was more special about the Fableman as they're called divorce than anybody else's? And the answer is nothing except for that. You know, I mean, there's particulars like there is in any divorce, but the particulars are particulars that we're we're used to. Yeah. Well, okay. So maybe a way to do this is the what? What was the unequivocal good? Um, Bearing in mind, this all might be revised with more thought because this movie take it'll take take some processing. But the scene with the bullies at the end or towards the end was pretty fun. I liked that. Yeah, I um, actually liked everything film, to do with the bullies. It pretty much was awesome. I really liked a lot to do with that. And a lot of the weird sort of, yeah, awkward confessional nature of that was good. The the uncle showing up, that was pretty fun. <laughs> Judd Hirsch of all people. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that really, that's where, from a pacing standpoint, the movie started to find its feet, I thought. Yeah. Well, you get it. Like, he doesn't want to... There's a place where he doesn't want to be self-indulgent, which is he doesn't want to paint himself as too much of a genius. And yet the genius stuff is actually what we want to see. We want to see this little savant figure things out and figure right. out how to be an artist. So a lot of that stuff is really compelling, but there's not quite a, quite as much of it as you might want. I think somebody else telling the story, you know, one of Spielberg's acolytes telling the story would actually spend a lot more time on Steven Spielberg, the genius, and Steven right. Spielberg, the savant. And he does, he's not shy about that. I mean, he's willing to say... I just had a knack for it, and, and I worked hard. And I worked hard. And a lot of the a lot of the genius shots are just him 
you know, making notes and pouring over film and making his little cuts and his notations and fast forward and rewind and try to problem solve. Right. You know, in the, in the moment, you know, that he really gives his dad is, I know that you're going to, the, the moment of, I know that whatever you're going to do, you're going to, you're going to work hard at. Yes. I mean, I would put Paul Dano in the unequivocally good. Oh yeah, absolutely. He was was awesome. He was great. Michelle Williams is too. She's a, she's a really, to my mind, unlikable character. But she, she does a fantastic job as an unlikable yeah, character. Yeah, she's great. I mean, she's the obvious Oscar contender from this movie. Although what Dano is quietly doing is maybe even more deserving of an Oscar, if not as likely to get one. Super impressive. And the and, and Sammy was awesome, too. Yeah, he was great. He was who, great. Who was that? What was his name? I don't know what his name is. Has he played anything else? I feel like I've seen him in something. I loved how he aged into looking yeah, like young awesome. Spielberg. All, he was just one pair of glasses away from looking very much like the Spielberg that we remember from Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that kind of stuff. Gabriel LaBelle is his name, and he has played in The Predator in Dead Jack. So, yeah, no. There you go. Well, he's great. Yeah. Yeah, he does a fantastic job. Yeah, all the performances were good. Seth Rogen was, I don't know if he's good, but he was well cast in, in... No, he was he was good. It's hard for Seth Rogen to overcome being Seth Rogen, and he did a pretty good job of overcoming being Seth Rogen. Yeah, well, plus you wanted the Seth Rogen typecasting in this case. I think he was he was good. It worked. It worked. Yeah. So, was there anything else that belongs in the unequivocally good category? I mean, the ending. I think the ending belongs in the unequivocally. It the ending of the movie is hilarious and. It's pretty fun. Genuinely surprising and makes you want to rethink the whole movie and try. Oh, go ahead and explain. Well, okay. So he gets his legendary, he, he gets a letter. He goes to Hollywood. He gets his legendary meeting with John Ford and John Ford comes in and is completely the legendary, terse, gruff, no nonsense, doesn't really need to be wasting any time, John Ford, but also with a twinkle in his eye, kind of mm-hmm. John Ford. And so he waits for hours for John Ford to get back from lunch. And then John Ford comes in and I mean, I don't want to, I guess I can just explain the, John Ford basically has nothing to say to him except for, look at that picture. Tell you, tell me what you see. And then look at that picture and tell me what you see. And both times, the only thing he's supposed to see is the horizon line. And John Ford's big piece of advice to this aspiring filmmaker is that middle horizon is boring. Low horizon is interesting and high horizon, high horizon. so you think you're going to get these wise words of wisdom that are going to put the whole movie in context or put the whole dilemma of art in context or sum up spielberg's life and then what we get literally the last line of the movie is is this little speech about horizon lines and what's interesting and what's boring and then we see young sammy leaving and we expect that young sammy would be dejected by you know john ford not just making his career in that moment but instead, he's skipping. He's happy. He's so, you know, he just he just got a golden key from the master. Yep. And he walks away, and the camera rises, and then there's this little bit of joke, joke, cuteness where the horizon line is. De- it starts dead center. Yep. And then, as the John R- M- Williams music does a little comedic trill, the camera adjusts itself so that we suddenly have an interesting horizon line, and then we smash cut to credits. Yeah, which says what? Well, 
you know, you've got that moment with the sister in the bedroom where she's like, Sammy, you're just as you're the you're you're the scared one, you know. And mom gets it early on and says, Sammy, this is all about control. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You need a place where, that you can control. And so I, you know, I kind of think at the end of the day, he's like, I was just a kid with a knack who needed a place to process my crap. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I got some good advice about how to hold a camera. Mm-hmm. It worked, worked out. Worked out okay, didn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it almost has the feeling of like, all right, I've told you as much of my story as I know how to process, but ultimately, I don't know. My mom was my mom. My dad was my my dad. What are you going to do? Cameras are magical. Art is art and craft is craft. And the only thing I can tell you is do a good job or something. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. How to tell you, tear you apart. (laughs) All right. Haven't you seen somebody mourn before? <laughs> Let's go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's very cheeky and, and and very delightful, especially because late period Spielberg movies always go on for a half an hour too long and have these long fade outs and sort of sad endings where the camera rises up and the music is doing all this stuff. And so to just have a little wink and a nudge, it almost felt like old Spielberg. Playfulness. Thing. Yeah, it was just, it was very playful yeah, after, yeah. after a, two hours and 20 minutes of a not very playful feeling. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's playful kind of in the margins, like the way that it's staged is playful, but anything you want to put in the unequivocally bad category, I think the way his girlfriend was portrayed was pretty lame. Yeah. The, the girlfriend and the blasphemy around all of the, I get I get portraying his experience as a Jew in, in this waspy environment. I I'm okay with that some of that but it just wasn't fair the way that like if that's going to be the only real representation of a Christian and of a girl in the movie like it just I don't know felt blasphemous felt a little sexist honestly I mean it's like really so is that part I don't know I mean, I think a lot hinges on what we finally decide. And maybe Spielberg well, doesn't mean for us to make anything of it. But this but. is one of those movies that, it, you know, for better or worse, is destined to be studied. Like, it's meant to be studied. He had to have known that. And he can't just come and have the final word be a middle finger. Right. Right. And I think he knows that, too. Yeah. So. Well, if if you want to read the movie just but, on. But, 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 but yeah, you have that that moment where he's like. You know, the guy's like, why'd you do that? Why'd you make me, you know, the bully has the unexpected breakdown of why'd you make me Superman? Mm-hmm. And now I got the girl and I can't live up to this. And his answer is, I don't know why I did it. Like, I wanted you to be kind to me for five minutes. I wanted to do it for me. Who cares? You got the girl. And it made a better movie. Yeah. And it made I, a better movie. That might yeah, actually be the closest really, thing to a real answer. The real answer. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's what it's the story that that worked. Right. It was the best movie there was in all the film I got. So it's just the story that needed that wanted to be told. And so, okay, I lied, but yeah, I'm sure f- future film analysis will will center on like what are the intentional lies that are built into this movie and what do they reveal and all this sort of thing and. Yeah, what what what's in there to to make it just a better movie mm-hmm. versus 
you know, to be truly autobiographical. I mean, many of the crazy details are details we've been over before on this show because they are true. The monkey, things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, apparently his mother was fairly larger than life. And the footage of her in that documentary where she's with the husband, Mr. Spielberg, she is quite the character. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what exactly would have been made up. I mean, I guess, I suppose a lot of trying to figure it out is to figure out exactly what he thought of the parents. Like, like, does he have a take? Or is his take just they were my parents and the first half of the movie actually He's feels... He's got real affection for both of them, right? Yeah. Like, I think he really does. Which was sweet. I was glad not to... I, I was glad not to see either one of them punished. Fully it, thrown under the bus. It would have been easy for this movie to be vindictive. But then there were times it felt pretty vindictive. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there were. I think there were times it felt vindictive. Like, what's an example? I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on anything. It was just moments where I felt like, he showed his teeth just a little bit. He's like, I'm still, or maybe it was just like, I really was angry about this. And I mean, maybe, I, have, and maybe I had a right to be. You definitely have like 14 scenes where his dad is boringly explaining something to someone who does not care. care. That's definitely something. And that he's oblivious. Feels real. That stuck with him. Yeah. Because my dad was always wanted to explain his science or explain how to start a fire or explain these boring analytical things. And, us kids were just itching to run and play like yeah we just wanted to do fun but then i and that was what was so charming about benny right i felt i felt a lot more affection for the father character than i mean just knowing spielberg's filmography you kind of expect i mean i guess he definitely came around on fathers in his filmography which is what makes it so interesting but yeah I guess I didn't know what to expect, but I guess I expected he'd be a little harder on his dad. And actually, Paul Dano is one of the characters that you walk away having real affection. Yeah, he's just a sweet guy who did his best. Is the the real vibe? And he, you know, he. What do you want? He was an engineer, right? Yeah, from that perspective, you do end and a up, genius engineer. In the, you know. I'd say for the first half of the movie, it actually feels like you're. I was surprised by how judgmental we were being towards the mom and how much we were letting dad off the hook like like right. mom just feels like this crazy airy spirit air, you know person who thinks she's so artistic but actually she's kind of just like selfish and obnoxious and, yeah. and meanwhile dad just doesn't know what to do with her and yeah of course dad should be more emotionally intelligent and learn how to actually talk to his wife but but he does everything he knows how to do and so and she doesn't right i mean she's she, she makes, doesn't try. She makes excuses for her herself. Yeah. Uh, whereas dad's always trying. And then Spielberg maybe wants to flip things and say, okay, we've said all that about dad. Now let's talk about mom for the second half of the movie. Let's understand her pain. Let's understand. And that's part of what, what Uncle Judd Hirsch is. Uncle Judd Hirsch basically shows up to say, your mother, she should have been an artist. She. You know, if her mother had believed in her, maybe she wouldn't live this life of repressed whatever. If she's repressed, she's trapped in a cage. She doesn't know what to do with herself. And and that's the part of the movie that if Spielberg landed the plane a little bit better or just was willing to be more clear or make a judgment, I think it would be easy for, easier for me to make a judgment. And maybe I don't want him to. Because even if we could all sit here and agree objectively that his mom sucks and committed adultery, do you really want to see the guy 
just make a movie to punish her after she dies. Like, I don't know. But also just from an objective standpoint as an observer of the movie, I'm not sure I like how much he lets her off the hook. Because at the end of the day, she does have what feels like it's maybe the message, which is you have to follow your heart. And- no, no, it is the message. The message is follow. She has that follow your heart. You don't owe anybody your life. Yeah, and at the end of the day, that scene, I mean, we might come around and decide we hate this movie, that it's just destructive. It's just Spielberg making an apologia for all his... Follow your heart. You don't owe anybody your life, not even me. Right. So you don't, you don't, you have no obligations to anybody. You have no obligations to your family. Really? And it's like, as Spielberg as a director, are you going to make us feel all the pain of this? And then you're going to tell us, well, actually, my mom just needed to follow her heart. Like, she, she actually... At the end of the day, she didn't owe me anything. That's where you've landed after 75 years of living with this, after 50 years of living with their divorce, where you've landed is... He's got his own divorce. He does have his own divorce. That's true. But he also has... guilty conscience. But that's all true. That's all true. And what does she say? Guilt's an emotion that... Useless or... It's it's wasted wasted emotion. Guilt's a wasted emotion or useless. Yeah, waste. Well, especially if we believe the story that Spielberg feels some guilt over causing this... Like, like as if he was the one that, like, of course it was our, always there, but he, with his savant filmmaking power through, through the power of the lens, he, he uncovered it for everybody. In some sense, he feels responsible for his parents' divorce and the demise of their marriage. Then of course he wants to make an excuse and say, well, she had to follow her. Do you really think that that is the story that he's telling? Cause I, I just put it together with him never having said any of this publicly. Certainly he would have felt. If, so if this is the way, if this is closer to how it went down mm-hmm. than how he's told it, then certainly as a kid, he felt guilty. Right. There's no question of that. Kids feel guilty anyway, right? Or they feel responsible whether they feel guilty or not. Right. But if you have something like that, okay, he's going to feel not just responsible, he's going to feel guilty. And what I mean when I say kids feel responsible if they don't feel guilty, and this is a, a distinction that people don't always make, kids may not always feel like I am the reason or the cause for my parents breaking up, but they bear on their own shoulders the weight of reconciling mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And and they bear in in their own bodies the tension of the split between mom and dad. And that's something that just divorced kids, just that's just what they deal with. And so whether they process it as guilt or as responsibilities are, are two different questions. But if that's how he sees it, certainly he felt guilty. I thought, like, I mean, I thought Spielberg was. Pretty, you don't think this is a filmmaker who's still processing any of this? He's just telling, I thought telling Spiel, that story. I, th- I thought Spielberger, 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 yeah. Spiel, Spielberg, the filmmaker, the maker of the Fablemans, was hamming up how obvious this affair was from the first time we saw that family together. Yes, it's true. It's it's like, yeah, it was like every third shot is like a a, a wistful look between. Between the two, the two of them, yeah, yeah, them touching, touching, falling into each other, anything like that. And so then, when you get to the the big quote unquote revelation, yeah, what you know, they're actually holding hands, and then he goes to put his arm around her, and then she grabs his hand and pulls it off, but then they end up leaning on each other, and it's like, okay, there is a an actual pre existing relationship. I think what that says is there's a pre existing relationship here, mm-hmm. and the only question is the degree to which she feels tension about how obvious it is. Right, and what the movie seems to be saying is that it was absolutely obvious to everybody. It's just that we had a bunch of people who were committed to blind. be to being blind, and, and and the camera forced young Stephen 
to see what he wouldn't see with his own eyes. Right. He had to see it through the lens. And that was it. Right. And then he wanted to burn the camera and never touch it again. And that was it. Like he made his his World War II movie where he killed everybody in it and then had the 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 daddy walking off into the sunset. Everybody's dead. And that's it. That's like he wants to put the camera away and never deal with it again. Right. So I I I don't know. So I, I I guess, and then we, and then the, that's the sense making of of mom having to say to him later, and it, it never got as far as I imagine you think it did, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't like I don't, I didn't interpret it as, oh look, there's an emotional entanglement here that is now being revealed to you, mom, about yourself. You didn't even know your own heart. I think it was. Although maybe I did feel that in the moment too. I did feel yeah, that in I the mean, moment too. Like, there was that in the moment of like, yeah, okay. If my life's moments were played in front of me, you know, and that was that was me and I'd been nurturing this sort of like thing that I hadn't even articulated to myself. Yeah. It would be embarrassing and I mean, I think of it like devastating in that in that way to have it forced down my throat on film the summer that meredith came to bloomington and and we didn't get to know each other until the end of the summer but she was there for summer i was interested in her i was attracted to her i sort of i sort of knew that on some level but also i told myself i didn't and i told other people that i wasn't and i can imagine that if some cinema savant had taken a bunch of iphone footage where they just happened to capture you know i'm looking at her across the sanctuary they could have put it together and they put it together they show it to me it's like they wouldn't be telling me anything that i didn't already know but also they could be forcing me to deal with something you weren't ready to deal with something that i wasn't ready to deal with and that i had been on some level suppressing so i don't think it's like what's her face mitzi is shocked by any of this necessarily but there is some sense in which Spielberg, I think maybe hurried along the demise of the marriage, at least as it's told here. Or, or well, he's got these scenes afterwards, like you know, uh, he goes from there, and the next time we have a real interaction between him and his mom is after the film, right? Right, the World War II film that he's already lined up and you know completed, you know, been working on or whatever. So he completes it. He shows it. She goes to congratulate him. He doesn't want anything to do with her. This number two person is Benny. Doesn't want anything to do with him. Mom's upset. Benny's upset. Mom and Benny go home together, go off together. Mm -hmm. And he goes to talk to dad. So we see that sort of like thing just sort of escalating, you know, and how he treats her. But we see then even more intensity between him and mom, between him making the film and showing it to her, right? Right. So, I don't know. She slaps him right before he shows it to her, I think. Yeah, that's right. And then he wants to say it's our secret. And one one thing that I expected the movie to deal with a little bit more, which it dealt with a decent amount, but I still, I think, expected more, but maybe Spielberg just didn't want to be this vulnerable, is the nature of the relationship between him and his mom, you know, the the mutual emotional support, the, the way that she would have leaned on him while her own cold, distant engineer husband Right. wasn't giving her and there was a lot of that in the movie but i don't think especially it, young yes, sammy it didn't explore the question especially of their teenage relationship as much as right i mean you and i both come from messy divorcee situations we both know there was a lot more there that could have been explored that's right one way or another 
Yeah, and and he he just he wanted to paper over that. I don't think there's I just don't think he wanted to talk about it. Yeah, which is where I'm a little torn without thinking about it more. I'm like, you know, I have some respect for him drawing a modesty veil across his mom, especially since he's also seems to be doing it for his dad. But what he ends up doing then is say, well, you know, mom lost her mind. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and it it, kind of never really happened. Nothing ever really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the fact is, you know, her mom died and then the thing with Benny and then we moved and it was a mess and everybody hated it. Right. And so it wasn't just like she needed to get back with Benny. I hated it. My sisters hated it. Everybody hated it. We all hated it. My dad was busy at IBM. He was busy with his dream. He had no emotional intelligence. So he just thought, well, uh, anywhere I can go and work and be happy. And actually you were, you were running from a fight that you should have had. And I've lost my respect for you. And, but also this movie, it doesn't mom's going off the rails. She's going to buy a monkey, you know, she's hallucinating. Dano does a great job, and you kind of love Bert, I think his name was, in the movie. But the story makes more sense if you have more scenes of him being more cold. Or it's like, yeah. You didn't want to give that to us, though. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's interesting. That's the other part where it's like. He feels really bad about his dad. Anybody that's writing this movie, you're going to have a scene of the dad being like going too far with physical discipline or just being really cold when. Or being really aggressive towards young Sammy's... Sammy's dream, yeah, crushing his dream. Right, which I feel like there was something, there was a scene like that in the trailer that was not in the movie. Like, there's more of that vibe, certainly, I got from the trailer that I watched. Yeah, and maybe it's just like after dragging his dad through the mud in E.T. and Close Encounters and, you know, through the entire decade of the 80s, Spielberg just doesn't want to do that anymore he's made mm-hmm. his peace with it and he's like i don't want to show either of these people as being as bad but it doesn't make sense of how bad the mom is when you then let the dad off the hook and then when you let the dad off the hook it suddenly doesn't make as much sense of let mom off let the mom hook. off the hook it's like you at the end of the day you kind of have to make a judgment i mean the obvious judgment is I mean, I don't want to be simplistic, but this mom is terrible. Yeah. This mom is terrible. Yeah. But the real question is, to what degree does he actually know that she's terrible? Yeah. And like, I think even as he's processing it in front of us or putting it on, telling us this is how he's processed it. Like, I think he can say all he wants that mom wasn't terrible. What he made a movie about was mom is terrible. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if we had these people in our church, you know, if we had to deal with, yeah, mom started dancing at, we, we went to camp with Uncle Benny, our family friend, and then mom was was dancing in front of, after everybody had some Jack Daniels, mom was dancing in front of- It was car, Jim Beam. Or Jim Beam, yeah, even better. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> mom, mom was wearing this sheer see-through dress, and she was dancing in front of headlights, you know, and you could see through. And I mean, Spielberg is honest enough to have the daughter thoroughly- mortified and trying yeah, to stop it. Yeah, and letting it. us know what he couldn't put on camera, Yeah, actually, right? Yeah, exactly. I wanted more of those little girls' perspective. Right. And I can only, and I know that they're friendly and some of them have been producers and writers on Spielberg movies. Like, they're, they're, they're part of the, the, yeah, the Godfather-style lo- family. He loves you know? his sisters, and that's pretty 
Yeah, which which was sweet. It's just like all my fond memories of my sisters playing along with me growing up and always being there. And even when they're being, you know, naggy bratty sisters, they're kind of cute and awesome. Yeah, I, I liked that. But you also kind of like, you don't get as much of their perspective as you like, like how painful. They're the ones that are tasked in the movie with the job of crying, you know, like right. when, when Steven's throwing himself into his pictures so that he doesn't have to deal with stuff. The sisters can just have the obvious emotional beat, whatever it is. Right. But, ah, so, I don't know. I mean, I I liked it. I felt things that I was supposed to feel at appropriate moments. Yeah, I mean, you're going to tear up at various points. I mean, maybe you won't, but... Do you I did. I mean, how could I not? I mean, I like, did. Yeah, if... I get, you know what is it? Fifty-two percent of America has lived this story. We're part. Right. Of, we're part of them. So that's right. How can you not? And, and I think especially, you know, for me, I imagine for Ben when he sees this movie, it's like we had our parents' marriage really fall apart when we were teenagers. So there's all just a lot of yeah relatable stuff. Yeah, like the scene where mom and dad are tell, breaking it to the the teenage kids, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's tough. Like, and they let the kids go nuts on him in a way that's right yeah, and good. Well, and I, I think he captured the sense of, I don't want to say alienation, but just the disconnect that, like, that's Steven Spielberg in this movie, Sammy. His, the fact that he just goes into his room and starts editing movies and doesn't cry, that's exactly what my response was when I was his age. I mean, I think I was 18 or something when my, which is about actually what he is. He's, he's about to graduate high school when his parents announced right. their divorce. So he's a little bit younger than I was. But I was just like, when I look back on that and I try to remember stuff, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, it just kind of happened, you know? Like, it, it, I was just so disconnected from it in a way that I now see as, a coping mechanism, you know, right. in a way that I can now feel emotion about, but, but it really was just like, I'm going to go do my artsy stuff and, and live in another world. Like who wants to live in this one? And it's not that I'm saying who wants to live in this one and crying to my bedroom. It's, I'm really just shutting the door on that entire. Yeah. Just like, I don't have time, space, bandwidth. I don't have, I just, I'm, I'm gone. Yeah. Checked out. Like just, I'm not here for this. I'm going to be somewhere else. Yeah. And that, and you know, in that, the dumb thing is like, okay, that is the cope that you're, that you were taught and trained in already. So it's just like, you know, when your parents are in that position, they demand that kind of emotion from you, mm. but they required you to live with the tension of their horrible marriage for that amount of time. And the only way that you know how to deal with it is to just stop caring or shut off or go find an outlet somewhere. Uh, you know, part of what, Part of their problem is, well, that's what they created. Yeah. And, and there's a, a degree to which they don't get to complain about that, which is a pretty, I guess, harsh thing for me to say. But also, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And there's no, there's no other way around it. If they want to undo it, they've got to do the work to undo what they helped break. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the kid's not responsible before God to deal with you know, his emotion, his response, his cope, whatever for God, but it, and everybody responds differently when they are, when they're sinned against as a kid, but you're sinned against. Right. And so, yeah, that external sin meets with an internal sinner, but that external sin is a real twist. Yeah. That really twists and is hard to undo. It's, it can't be unbroken. It can only in time be, be healed. 
Hmm. But scar tissue is real. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I guess if the movie has us talking about this stuff, maybe you got to give it that it's got some power and some insight. I don't know. Could he have made the really good version of this movie that we would feel unconflicted unconf- about? Is it even possible? I mean, I deal. I, I I think about these kinds of questions all the time because I do. Like on a podcast like this, I will talk about my relationship with my dad, which wasn't good and isn't good to this day. I have made a choice with advice from pastors and stuff. I've made a choice to talk about it in my work, you know, which my work is talking. So I talk about it. But there's also things that I don't talk about. You know, there's modesty veils. There's there's always a dance. It's always like, well, my dad's actually a, a good, bad example to use. And he's been a helpful, bad example to me. But I, I don't want to dishonor him. And so it's just tricky. And I don't know that I have any great wisdom about it. But I'm just like, with his parents dead, what was Spielberg's responsibility in telling this story? Maybe there's just no way to do it. I don't think there's... The question that somebody needs to ask him, the question that he needs to face, I think, is if you could take this movie. This is the movie he should have made. The movie he should have made. This is my right now moral judgment, which is subject to change. But my right now moral judgment that is subject to change is that the movie he should have made is the movie that he could have taken to his parents when he was 12 Mm -hmm. or 13 and shown it to them. What's the movie that you want to show your parents at 10 when they're about to, or five or whatever, when you're about to move to Arizona or whatever? What's that movie? Like if you could, if you could show them the movie of how it all turned out, what's that movie? And and I don't, I don't care what, I don't care what Cope Steven Spielberg now says, at in his seventies. If you could get through the scars and the calluses to the real heart of Steven Spielberg, and you could take away Jaws and E.T. and Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park and all of it. And give him a happy childhood with the whole family, he would he would do it. And the movie that would accomplish that for his mom and dad, that's the movie he should have made. And the movie that would not make any one of our parents feel vindicated in the choices they made because we somehow turned out okay after it was all said and done, screw that. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, this movie's easy to be angry with. I mean, it's just like nobody needed that movie. Nobody, the world did not need that movie. Well, the, the, the dark side of what you're saying is, would I have wanted to show this movie to my parents when they were divorcing? And the answer is no. The answer is hell. Absolutely no. no. I, I want a movie about how, actually, you're both okay. You're both beautifully broken. Nope. And we got to follow our dreams. Nope. No, I didn't need my dad to follow his dreams. Nope. I need my dad to nope. finally die Nobody did. Stupid, evil Nobody dreams. did. Everybody needed their parents to die to themselves and love each other and love their families. That's what they needed. And no amount of art coming out of that brokenness is worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah, and if you you can make a movie that says, hey, isn't it interesting that the best art seems to come out of the most brokenness? That's that's an okay thing, but you don't have to You don't have to morally justify it. You don't have to morally justify the brokenness. Like, what are we supposed to do? Abuse our kids so that they become artists? Like, what's what's the... What's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Yeah. No. No. Absolutely not. I mean, you know what I want to say about this movie, and I can't say it on the podcast, but that's what I've talked myself into. This movie could take a long walk in the sticks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yet it's so interesting that we didn't exactly feel like that. Walking out of the theater. And maybe that's just because he's the maestro, and when he wants to, he can have you. I don't know. There, I think there were some of the tears that I shed during the movie were for old man, current Steven Spielberg. I mean, I think some of it was sadness for, oh, this is the best you can do. That's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if he wanted the movie that he wished he could sit down with his old parents mm-hmm. and shed a tear with. Even that he didn't accomplish, because I don't, I don't, I don't want to sit down and watch this movie with my parents. Right. Well, and it, 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 even for a pagan, is what you want actually to be told? Oh yeah, everything he did was great. I mean, Mitzi, whatever her real name was, presumably she felt pretty crappy about all this. Like, right. like would this movie have actually gone down well with her? Would she have been like, oh, that's nice, that makes me feel better? I doubt it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't actually. It's the reason he waited until they died, right? Right. Well, there's a reason people still re- read Anna Karenina, pagan, Christian, Buddhist, whoever. Everybody loves Anna Karenina, yeah, because she throws herself in front of a train. N- nobody cares. <laughs> we are actually built in such a way that we want God's judgment in these stories. Vengeance is mine; mm-hmm. I will repay. That's what Tolstoy wrote right at the very front inside cover of that book, and that's what, and that's what young Spielberg knew. Like that's what that's why there is a the shark. most famous. Well, that's why there's the most famous "Vengeance is Mine." I will repay special effects sequence in all of cinema, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where Spielberg's like, actually, this is what should have happened to the Nazis <laughs> right. for coming after my people, God's people. <laughs> the faces should melt off, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like there's just like there's so much of that in Spielberg that he understood when he was young. Yeah, but this On is the but this level. is the same Spielberg that made Close Encounters. I mean, Close Encounters actually tells the same story as this movie. My I was family's about my that. family's stupid, and I need to follow my heart, and I got to do. And me- I don't owe it to anybody to do anything except follow my heart. And what if that is the summary? I mean, and maybe it is. Maybe maybe I think you have to look at it as Spielberg's seventy five. Maybe it's he the, doesn't know how many it more is the movies. Shallow capstone in a shallow career in a shallow career that is the summation the pinnacle of a shallow industry well what you have to the way you have to look at it is i just got covid i just i've been working hard my whole life and then i had to take two years off and i'm 75 and i don't know how much more time i have you you cannot not look at this movie as the movie of a man who doesn't know if he's going to make another one. Now, Spielberg's parents right. lived to be 100. They were spry. Spielberg might make 20 more movies, but every one he of shouldn't. them that he makes from now on, he has to think of as, okay, what happens if this is the one? Right. What happens if this is my life's work? What if, what happens if they are thinking about whether to give a posthumous Oscar to this one? Yep. And if this is really where he's got, then yeah. I mean, it is kind of like, throws a pall not just over this movie, but over our childhoods and 80s movie dumb and everything that Spielberg helped build. But you know what? What? John Ford made some fun movies and so did Steven Spielberg before this. Yes, true. And so just be sure you get the horizon line right. Well, and that's what I kind of like about it. I mean, right. that's, that's why... It is self-aware enough to know that... Well, and I could see... It doesn't us... end on a big, like... Dramatic. Dramatic, emotional, anything. Well, and I could see us thinking about it for a couple of weeks, doing our podcast with Ben and saying, 
you know what? What he actually said in a beautiful way is life is complicated. I, I don't really think this is where we're going to land, but there is enough of this in the movie that it's worth saying. Life is complicated. My parents suck. But Things I, happen. But I, but I love them. And at the end of the day, you want me to tell you what my, the summation of my career is? I was a really good craftsman. Who worked really hard. Who worked really hard in, in spite of the fact that I came from the same mess that we all come from. And that's, that's the Spielberg that I like. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Everybody else was cool and having fun and doing the cool things. And scared, stupid little me hid behind a camera, captured it all, and used it to tell stories for people to process their lives through. Even the dumb bully. Yeah, the bully stuff was good. I mean, I wish there had been more of a sense of, but how do you do that? It has to be Spielberg. I don't know. Sorry, folks. I'm just thinking out loud here. If you could capture just a little bit of self-criticism, just a little bit of, yeah, I thought I was the lonely outcast hero, but actually everybody else was genuinely having fun. And there was a lot of people who weren't bullies or weird stereotypical. Well, there was this cute girl. Yeah. She's a shot at humanizing everyone who was, you know, those wasps. But man, <laughs> she, she's, she left a sour taste in my mouth for all kinds of reasons. She's very similar to Amy uh, Adams' character in Catch Me If You Can. I don't know. Spielberg just shouldn't make movies about women. Has he ever made a good movie about a woman? He probably has made a masterpiece that I'm just not thinking of. His sisters. That's a place where he was self-deprecating. Yeah. Are you ever going to have a woman who's a hero in your movies? No, he's not comfortable with women. You know, he's... Well, and, you know, to his mind, he might be like, yes, I." if he was sitting here right now, he might say, yes, I know I didn't give you a proper portrait and I just made the the wasp girl into a joke. But that's that's because I didn't really feel like I could actually capture her. I don't I don't have the talent to tell the story of a girl from that era and it's not my And you gotta understand how alien she looked to me as a little Jewish boy. Yeah, like this is just Sammy's perspective. He was just crazy and hormonal and I don't know. He always had a cute line for everything though. There's yeah. one thing about Sammy that I I didn't like. I was I thought the actor did a lot. The actor did a lot to make that character just feel like a good compelling hero of a movie as opposed Charming. to as opposed to Spielberg's flattering self-portrait. Yep. I think I was I was dreading oh no, is this guy just going to be a flattering self-portrait and the actor did a lot to mitigate that. Yeah, but it was in the charm of how he played to the camera. Yeah. versus the story on paper. I, I guess I did not feel the same hatred for him that I feel for Dreyfus anytime he shows up as a self-portrait of Spielberg in those early Spielberg movies. I'm like, oh, well, you want this guy to be your hero? Like this mm-hmm. is this is actually what you think of us and of you and of like like you think this Close Encounters guy is worth me watching a movie about because he's like you and even I guess that we've said everybody loves Dreyfus and Jaws, but I don't know. I'm guessing we'll be even harder on this movie the next time we talk about it, once we have all our thoughts together. I mean, I'm guessing we'll just, maybe we'll be exactly as hard as we you you were when you just said, well, I wouldn't show this to anyone who was getting a divorce. I wouldn't yeah. show this to my parents. That's kind of the ball game right there. I mean, that was the that was the question that closed the book on it for me. I mean, I don't know that I'll come back. I'll, I don't know that I'll come back from it. Yeah, I doubt I will. He may sit, you know, if he were sitting across from us, he may say, well, you can't hold 
any movie to that kind of standard. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to take it on its own terms, critique the movie that I made, not the one that you wish I made. But you know what? You made a movie about your family and about your family's divorce and about how it impacted you and made you who you are. Mm-hmm. Which means if you're going to, you know, you could not make that movie. I can respect that. But but you did that. And so you have to have a moral perspective on it. Yeah. You're not allowed to just say, I love my parents. So I, d- I don't have a perspective on them. I could understand wanting to do that. I can, I can be sympathetic to that. But well, well, and, well, then why, why make the movie in the first place? I mean, you can also say this is a movie where we as an audience are supposed to have a broader perspective, but the movie itself is only ever showing us what Sammy's perspective is. So this is just the, the story of Sammy's perspective, which is fine. And I think that's what Spielberg, if he was sitting here, might tell us the movie is. But it's, that's not true. The movie cheats. The movie has a lot of scenes just with mom and dad in the bedroom yep. talking. I mean, I, the first time it happened, which was within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Well, this is interesting that this guy wants to follow his parents into their bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I'm just dark enough that I was wondering if we'd really follow his, follow his parents into the bedroom. And I'm not saying that we should have. Although it's like, again, if you're going to tell the story, you, like, you, you need to either, I'm not, I'm not saying there should have been a sex scene. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you need to either be willing to be the God's eye view director who's going to just show us everything, show us what the parents are really like, what perspective we should actually have on them. Or you need to commit to this is just little Sammy's story and it's all from his skewed perspective. And so when his mom says, follow your dreams, it feels like an inspirational moment because maybe it did to him and his angst and his stupor. But yep. I wish John Williams still wrote music for these things. I mean, he does, but actual music. Well, what I actually kind of wondered is obviously Spielberg has to use John Williams. Like he's not going to fire John Williams at this point. But could he score certain parts of this movie with, with like source music? So, so much of so so many of the scenes, why not call back ET here? Why not call back? Yeah. Oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to cut to a scene in the Arizona desert with some scouts. Dun, 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 you know, come on, man, you're going to, you're going to tell us, you know, yeah, that would have been great if we could have, well, the other thing is, I th- I wondered if he wasn't actually just cutting around, like like devising the movie in such a way, like he doesn't want to hurt John Williams' feelings. They go back fifty years or whatever now, but actually he didn't really have good John Williams music, so he he did the movie in such a way that he actually didn't have to lean on it because a lot of the scenes are scored to his mother's piano playing. Some of the right. most emotional stuff is done to classical, not to John Williams' score, but to classical pieces of music a lot of it is like rockabilly or you know diegetic music from the time yep so there's actually not a lot of john williams score in here but this is apparently john williams he's going to do indy 5 and then he's going to retire so this is a, like a lame unless indy where 5. are we at on indy 5 i saw first looks yeah we haven't we don't have a trailer yet but empire magazine just came out with pictures and they've started doing press so i'm sure we'll get a trailer soon in the next month or so they've started releasing information we know that mads mickelson is the main villain of course we knew that the second he got cast but we know that he's kind of an oppenheimer type guy we know that it's about indie dealing with old age because that's what we really want to see in our yeah sexy heroes we know that there's going to be some de-aging they've confirmed that i think the first sequence will be young indiana jones in his prime having some kind of adventure which i personally am looking forward to yeah that's the thing i'd be most excited about actually 
Yeah, I mean, if the tech the technology is always getting closer, if we can finally just get to the place where they can just call in George, call in all of Industrial Light and Magic. I mean, not that any of that exists the way it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Luke Skywalker was pretty close these last time to go around. I know he's not perfect, but Luke Skywalker and the Mandalorian has been darn close. So they're improving it. They're yeah. getting there. I think the real thing you have to do is have Harrison Ford have the humility to say, I'm not going to do all the motion capture. We're going to get a guy in his 30s to do the, mo- the-, the mocap. Yeah. Because that's what kills the Irishman, which is you, you have like, yeah, that looks like young Robert De Niro, but why is he hobbling around slowly like an old man? An old man. Well, because he is. But the Mandalorian didn't do that. And I think a lot of it was that they didn't always use at least for the action they didn't have what's his face mark hamill in there mark hamill has released photos proving that he was on set because people said oh they just didn't get mark hamill he wasn't even there i don't think they used his voice but they can't any, anymore it's changed it's changed too much yeah yeah so we'll see i mean get a harrison ford from the 30s from when he was in his 30s impersonator and yep just like just be cool with the old harrison ford I mean, they found that guy for uh, Last Crusade, <laughs> right? Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. The guy. The, yeah. They found it. They the found fake the, Indiana Jones guy. Yeah. The fake Indiana Jones, the real life like model yeah. for who Indiana Jones was going to be. Like they, they found that. Let's just find that guy again. You lost you did the day, kid. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> that guy was cool. Yeah. That's a good Steven Spielberg movie about fatherhood. Yeah. The best. This is not a better Steven Spielberg movie about fatherhood, not really. All you have to do is... AI? Realize, yeah, <laughs> AI. AI might actually be a masterpiece, but I'd have to oh, see I haven't it seen that in a long I haven't, time. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I, I actually think it might have aged very well. Oh, then I'll have to, we'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to. I mean, I think it might actually be a very dark, sad, and disturbing movie that pretends to be a sentimental Spielberg movie. Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment, yeah. In his prime, I, I, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the prime of his career, at least. Sixth Sense, Secondhand Lions, AI. Secondhand Lions, a movie I've never seen. And it was a friend of mine's favorite movie. He loaned it to me. I think I gave it back to his family after he died. It was his favorite movie. And I still didn't watch it. Well, I mean, my advice, don't. It's not very good. Okay. I'll take that advice. It's one of those movies where... Well, I think that's why I didn't watch it, because I didn't want to have to talk to them. Yeah. I didn't want to have to be honest with them about what was a family favorite. So I was just like, well, let's just preserve that one. Yeah. Let's let's not have to... I think you Your know. Instinct was good. I think it's one of those movies that is like, if if people people obviously weren't expecting anything from it when they saw it, so it kind of was like, oh, this is kind of cute and charming. And then it became a little family, like, go-to, cute, charming, For people, but, the, but then people are like, hey, Secondhand Lions is actually better than you expect, and then you, you go... Create and, an expectation. You go and so you watch Secondhand Lions. Like, like, uh, no, this is, this is not that good. Yeah. There you go. My deep thoughts on Secondhand Lions would be very useful to our listeners. Uh, oh man Every, anything else to say about the fable it is a beautifully shot movie of course it is i mean it's a spielberg movie i don't think so i mean i sure do like paul dano i sure he's I, really good i wish matt reeves would have used him better that's that's my thought well he gave him a knockout scene he did but then he kind of i don't think he did that scene correctly really 
I don't like. Th- Did you go? Have you gone back to it? I have not gone back to it since I saw it in theaters. I saw it twice in theaters. Saw okay. it with saw it with a different friend. So I saw, just saw it the one time in theaters, and that's it. The second time, I just thought you're not trusting Dano. Like Dano's got this, but you're like putting all this scary music behind it, and you know, making it. You're making it into a caricature when Dano is actually he's giving Nailing you a, he's giving you a really good riddle or like chill out just. Let it be a scene in a movie, not like this big, significant. Okay. I could be well, crazy. Uh, you know, the Coke Pepsi challenge, maybe, but I just thought he knocked it out of the park in theaters. And that's all I've thought about it since was, man, this dude has got serious chops. I didn't. And most people liked it better than I did. I mean, I liked what Dana was doing. I just, I felt like Reeves only ever played the iconography and didn't let him actually create the character that he wanted to like the, there was fun iconography stuff like when the SWAT team runs in and he's smiling and he's got his little cup with a the question, question mark, mark and it. all that yeah. stuff yeah. but anyway another hot hot take on well m- maybe we haven't seen the last of Dano's Riddler I'd be surprised if we had I I hope we have not I I'd like to see more of him I think he'd be the good I think he'd be a good character to do what they probably were planning and should have done with been able to do with the Joker, which is have Batman kind of go and talk to him in Arkham and, you know, kind of have a Hannibal Lecter kind of like that scene with the Joker is awesome. Yes. Too. Exciting about Matt Reeves whole vision for Batman. Yeah. But I'd say let's get that. Let's get that Joker on the street and then let's have the Riddler just always sitting in a cell playing mind games and Batman can go and kind of get some help quote unquote but right it comes in the form of a riddle that he has to figure out and that kind of stuff i don't know marys can do whatever he wants he's a- give the man carte blanche he made the best batman movie i'm sure they will i mean unless uh what's his face james gunn decides to be an idiot unless james gunn decides to be an idiot but i have to imagine they said hey james gunn you can do whatever you want to but re- you can't touch this right <laughs> we've got a good thing going with the most with our most popular character don't mess it up. Yeah. Bring in B- Batfleck back, do whatever in this like little pocket universe. But Matt Reeves has his own universe. Yeah. And- I mean, I, I assume they, they can do lesbian, Batgirl. I mean, they could do whatever they want. They'll probably do something terrible like that. But they got to just be smart enough. And I'm sure they will be smart enough to just let Matt Reeves also do what he wants. Yep. And I think that movie made all the money, right? Must have. I mean, they immediately greenlit too. Yeah, it made enough to get greenlit. It it didn't feel quite as buzzy as some other things from those COVID was just ending times. Well, so as good as it is, it's just artsy enough that everyone will go see the sequel, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people won't rewatch it until they are going to go see the sequel. Like it's like it's 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 just a little bit more to digest there than I think that's true. You were talking about another movie that could have been about twenty minutes shorter too. Sure, movie is like three hours long. What? Well, yeah, that's that's part of the problem with a popcorn movie is when when you when you extend it, you you extend it, you make it artsy in your own little way. You know, I don't know. It's like. Those James Bond movies, Skyfall, Mm -hmm. it's really smart. Just like straddles the line between the Batman and recent vintage Tom Cruise movies. Tom, recent vintage Tom Cruise movies, light, airy, so light and airy, 
it, it's a fine little thrill ride when you're on it, but not enough substance to make you go back. Right. And the Batman, enough substance to make you walk away feeling like I really love this movie, but so much that That's it makes it dark. it makes it a bit of a drag or just a little much to go back to. It's yeah. like it's too like it's too much of an investment to really go back. Who has three hours on an in an evening? Mm-hmm. Really, hour and forty five, sure. Yeah, two hours, sure. Maybe you know if it's good enough, two hours, sure. Mm-hmm. Two and a half. Well, I mean, if it's like Harry Potter or something like that, and your kids are into it, but you know, even there, I mean, it's just like. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I. It's what popped into my head because my my daughter just finished the series, and so, mm-hmm. like, but I was like, I, those are movies that I put on and check out. Like, I'll pick up a book. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna watch one. I, I like the later stories better, but. Just as like a, what are we gonna watch tonight? I'd almost rather turn on one of the earlier ones where it's like it's like two hours and Harry's having right. little adventures around the school as opposed to three hours of apocalypse and gloom and dark right. and snakes eating people. It's I mean yeah. it's not like too scary or too violent or anything, but it's just like it's every, a lot. Everybody's sad. Everybody's depressed. Everybody's angsty all the time. People are like, dying. People are dying. Like. I just want to see some owls like fly around and mm-hmm. some brooms and stuff. All very important criticism of, <laughs> of the fablements. <laughs> well, you know, we don't get Spielberg. Spielberg is a cheat code because mm-hmm. there's really nothing in film today that isn't a conversation ultimately about Spielberg. Right? True. You can't, you, Harry Potter doesn't exist and we're not talking about him without Spielberg and, that's part of his legacy. The Batman doesn't exist as is without Spielberg. Right. Which is why if we examine this movie and find that that last scene really does hold the entire key to, to Spielberg, maybe we'll be tempted to cut it a little slack, even if it's, you know, going to ruin marriages across this country. So as far as an interest as a, an examination of his own artistry this movie's pretty interesting especially the way that it ends and we've we've described it to be studied in film class yeah very smart forever if this movie was like it's paul dano and michelle williams and they've come to the big premiere and they're watching your movie and the camp and they they even say hi to each other and uh, there's seth rogan he's here too oh what a life you've lived and then the camera kind of swoops up i mean that's how i expected this movie would end but I mean, not that, not a scene that stupid, but you know, just like. I didn't think that, I didn't know. Well, I'll tell you what I didn't do is a lot of pre-processing of this movie. So I came in actually with, I realized as I was sitting in the chair, like I had an, a mental emotional block on this movie. I had zero expectations. And then it was like hitting me in the chair. I'm about to watch a Steven Spielberg movie that could be the Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about it. I've not, except that it's autobiographical. And I, you know, I watched a trailer months ago, but, but outside of that, like I've not seen any reviews. I've not looked, I've not bothered. I've not like, I've just not, I've not put any thought into any of it. And so here I am about to see a brand new Steven Spielberg movie. That could be the Steven Spielberg movie. And it was just like that little moment of like movie magic feeling you know, mm-hmm. that hit, I don't know, just a little shot as the movie got started. I was like, which well, maybe, maybe, maybe that colored how I viewed the first 
third of that movie. Uh, yeah, this just isn't. Oh, where's the Indiana Jones scene? That's mm-hmm. gonna. Yeah, this is this is a slow train getting off the tracks. There's part of me that wants to say you should really just print the legend. Like, let's just tell the the, the craziest Spielberg story. Let's have him snoop speaking up, sneaking onto the lot. Go ahead and make dad and or mom a monster if you have to. Just 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 tell the story that's tell the best story. Print the legend, man. Yeah. Especially if you're calling it the fable men's, which I guess isn't that lame. Because I think Spielberg, if I'm remembering this correctly, his name actually like Spiel means story. It means play. Play, yeah, is that what it is? So I guess it's fair to have his fictional counterpart. And Berg is mountain. Play mountain. So fable man. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Sammy Fableman. They call him Bagelman in this movie. I wonder what the... What Spielberg? What the equivalent nasty... Spielbagel? Spielbagel, yeah, probably. Who knows? Who knows? All right. I don't know. Anything else to say about this guy for now? No. All right. Ben will come and tell us why it's a masterpiece. Why we're all wrong. Why we're all wrong. Holy cow. What in the world? On Mike Holy Cow or off Mike Holy Cow? On Mike's phone. I haven't looked at my phone since we went into the movie theater. We got, I have 21 Discord notifications. Oh, wow. I have 67 email notifications. Oh, wow. And I've got three, four, seven, nine, 10, 12 text messages. I don't know why I have 67 emails, but I have 67 email notifications in the last couple hours. That's I hope the world's not burning. You do. Holy cow, what is going on? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yep. It's probably not important. Probably not for the mic. Yeah, well, now you've got me answering all my, all my email because I pulled my phone out. So maybe we should say goodbye. Should people see this movie? Uh, if, you, if you're one of us, and you are, mm-hmm. you should probably see this movie because it's going to be... It, it's an interesting part of the conversation. It's part of the conversation. And it's not just part of like the big conversation. It's part of this conversation and it will be part of this conversation moving forward. So this is one of those movies that I think if you want to be a, continue to be part of this conversation, it will be at some point important to have seen yes, and have a take on because, hey, you're here because you're interacting with us as we ourselves grow in our ability to be discerning with movies and as we help you grow in your ability to be discerning with movies. Spielberg's just part of it. This is a big part of Spielberg. This is just, this is part of it. And so maybe for other reasons too, but if for no other reason, then because it's part of the big conversation and part of our conversation, well, part I mean, of this conversation. And part of the cultural conversation. I mean, if, 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 if your parents had any trouble, if you had any kind of a divorce situation in your life over the last 40 years, whatever it is now, then you've probably keyed off of this man's vision for what your family is, for what family is in general, for what neighborhood community life is. Like, this man is important. For, for a, You can bemoan that fact. You don't have to love it if you don't want to. But this is a guy that has built our idea of ourselves about as much as anyone alive today. And so his idea of himself matters. Matters. So I'd say see it. I'd say I, I think I was maybe a little more entertained in the moment than you were. I wasn't bored by the first 30 minutes. I was. I, I appreciated parts of it for sure. But I, I, I found myself sitting there thinking, I'd really like to be doing more than appreciating this. Yeah. And that might just be, the like you said, the burden of it being a Spielberg movie. Like it kind of yeah. needs to 
grab you and take you on a ride. It can't just be. Yeah. Well, and that's where I thought, you know, like I said, there's a self-indulgent aspect of simply taking for granted. I wanted to make this movie and you're going to watch it because I made it. I made it. Therefore it's important because I made it. And so who cares if it's boring? This is just the movie I wanted to make. So deal with it. Like there was like enough of that feeling to it that I don't think ends up being fair by the time the movie's done. But I was sort of like questioning in that first 30 minutes if that's what this movie was going to leave me with was, I just feel like making this movie. You're going to have to watch it because I make movies that you have to watch. Yeah, I mean, I do. It's it's not fair, but I, I do wish old Spielberg had not made this movie and young or middle-aged Spielberg had. I mean, I, 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 would, I, I would love to see the same story told by someone who just wants to move quickly and yeah what you almost want to do is like okay let let old mature 70 something year old spielberg write it let him direct the shots even and then let young spielberg come in and have final pass on the edit right the the guy who could introduce everything about indiana jones in 10 minutes and then send him on his mission and introduce everything about the ark of the covenant i mean what's so beautiful about you know, I was about to say real Spielberg, which is an interesting Freudian slip, but classic Spielberg is how economical he is and how much he can right. accomplish with a single shot, with a single... And that's just not the kind of filmmaker that he's interested in being anymore. And I don't need him to be that. I, I think there's something People to People are allowed said. to grow and change. Yeah. And he wants to draw you in in a different way. He wants the rhythm of all right, Sammy's playing with his trains and now we have the tactile feeling of the train. There, there's, there's something to be said for that. I mean... It was interesting, actually, the soundscapes. There's, uh, there's just nobody better when it comes to that. In, in, in the ways that it was played up early in the movie with the train and then at the very end with the cigar. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so over the top in a really fun, delightful way on both ends that I thought was, that was very... You know, I mean, he knows that's a almost a trademark kind of thing that he does, but well, it just well, makes, he lingers so long, yeah, on that cigar. I mean, I just everything about this movie. I remember noticing this in the West Side Story trailer, which is not a great movie, but when the trailer came out, you see an, an image of somebody putting bullets into a gun, and the tactile reality through the sound and through the way that he films it of actual bullets going into an actual gun is just so visceral and it just makes you realize how many billions of movies have i seen where somebody puts bullets into a gun or somebody uses a gun and i never feel the weight of the gun i never smell the gunpowder i never and spielberg is just a genius i mean he is just like well you know and and he he tells us about it right like he has his his cut on his western Mm mm-hmm and his cut on his Western is like, it's fake. Like it's just not there. It's just not enough. How do I make it more? And that, I mean, and the thing about like with movies and with those types of scenes, it's like, there's no, like, we are getting so much match and flicker and puff and like, it's so ASMR. Mm-hmm. Like, it is the kind of thing that it, it's only a reflection of real life by being so over the top in how it leans into it to make you just sort of stop and think about and feel that, which is, you know, again, a big part of 
the genius of his movie making. It's like, well, you can't, he can't make you smell it for real, but if he lingers on it and he gives you, if he, if he gets the frame right and he gets the sound right and he can create such a heightened sense of it through heightened sound and heightened image, you know, he creates everything else that goes along with it. The taste even. Like, yeah. Well, I'll give you an, a counter example to help people understand what we mean about. So we saw a trailer for a Sam Mendes movie called Empire of Light, something to do with movies and right. stuff like that. You know, it was set in a theater and it was all dramatic and 24 frames a second, all this stuff. And I have no particular interest in that movie. But knowing Sam Mendes as a filmmaker, remembering Skyfall and how he did Skyfall, Skyfall is such a beautifully abstract movie. Like you never actually feel the pummel of bullets in that movie. You're always kind of seeing this God's eye view of there's James Bond and there's the thing that's burning behind him. And it's all very, it's all very epic yeah, and awesome. And I love the way that that movie is shot and put together, but it's in some sense, a step removed. Like we're, we're, we're observers. Whereas Steven Spielberg just always viscerally well, what, what Spielberg does is he, you know, he yo-yos. So you have filmmakers that do that big sort of epic abstraction, and you have filmmakers that that can, on some level, live in a more tactile or live in the middle, like a Bourne movie is just sort of like trying to be documentary feel. Right. But he, like he, he loves the zoom in and he loves the big zoom out. He just does such a good job of using. He's so good. Well, I just every wonder. Every tool in the toolbox. You watch that Sam Mendes movie. It might, in an abstract way, I'm just imagining it. Who knows what it'll be like? But it might be like this is movies. It's light. It's a. But Spielberg actually makes you feel like this is movies. This is light. This is the bulb. The bulb is plugged into an old timey thing. This is what it smells like. This is how it flickers. This is the dust yeah. on it. And then. We, like you said, we suddenly zoom out and it's like, this is the meaning of it all. But you could imagine somebody else making the, the entire Fablemans and making a perfectly good movie, but you never have the feeling of this is how film strips of the time worked. This is, mm-hmm. these were the kinds of tactile realities of, and Spielberg really wants to, wants you to understand what Sammy Fableman had to do to put these little things together and how it felt and the spools and the, the world of it. Yeah. He wants you to look at, uh, <laughs> he wants you to have the thought as you see him trying to figure out how to edit all this together and say, it used to be, it used to be that the work of it all sorted a whole lot of people out of this mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not, it is not, it was never like you with your iPhone. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, it's fascinating all the times when he's he's getting close to putting together one of his little masterpieces and he'll have a table full of, I, I presume, the strips of film that he's going to use. and they'll uh, just... Marked and taped in order. Yeah. That he's going to, you know, he's cut, he's made his cuts and he's going to have to come back and put it all, all back together. And I don't know that I understand anything more about film than I did before I watched this movie, but you sure, sure do have a tactile feeling of it. Yeah. And Old Man Spielberg especially is really good at that i mean i think you could probably say saving private ryan is the pivot point saving private ryan's where he just wants to be so tactile and he wanted to make his world war ii movie finally yeah and boy howdy so he's good at filmmaking that's steven spielberg that's one thing i've noticed about the guy you heard it here first guys yeah i can't wait for steven spielberg 
a good filmmaker. Fableman's two, where we get to see him. <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, yeah. I want to see him make Jaws. That actually would be awesome. I'd love to yeah. see just like a young movie brat Spielberg making his way in the business. And that that that's one where he could just be nasty. Nobody would feel bad, and if he was just like everyone in Hollywood was awful, and here's the way that we stabbed each other in the back, and yeah. Here's the women that we slept with and like, like just make it a nasty Hollywood tell all. We are all jerks. Yeah. That's the, that's the legend that we want yeah. for Hollywood. Print, print Let me that. tell you how big a jerk I was to my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he'd be perfectly happy to make himself out to just be drag a, himself through the mud. A villain. Yeah. Yep. That's like the kind of self-abnegation that an artist likes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the kind of horrible man I was. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Make that th- that great edifying movie. All right, we'll be back to talk more Fablemans with Ben. Assuming we have, maybe we won't, folks. If Ben has nothing else to say and we have nothing else to say, but it feels like this movie needs to settle a little bit. So we'll be back with at least a short episode, I think, and we'll be back with our Scrooge episode. We're calling it Turn of the Scrooge, where we're going to watch three different Scrooge movies and talk about them. And we'll be back with other things, our top 25. If you haven't checked out our Sanity on the Scene YouTube videos, you should do that. I think I've done a poor job of promoting them on this particular platform. So those are a lot of fun. I encourage you to check them out. Just go to YouTube and put in Sanity at the Scene, or on the scene, sorry, and you will find them. And what else am I failing to promote here, if anything? It is the season of thankfulness and the season of giving. We're thankful for all our supporters. We sure are. And we need you. Yep. We, we sure need do. You. If you want this show to keep going, if you want our other shows to keep going, as of this recording, which is the day before Thanksgiving, we have brought in about 8500 of the $60,000 that we need to bring in, which, you know. It's like almost a tenth, or uh, sorry, almost a. Almost 20%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Math. <laughs> not our forte. <laughs> not our forte. Not my forte. <laughs> I am very much like Sam Lee Philpovin in that. Yeah. Well, we, we have another 52-ish thousand dollars to go. So Every we, little bit helps. Every Everything matters. Everything helps. You guys, we know you know how it feels. We know that if inflation's hitting everybody, the economy is hurting everybody. We feel it here too. And mm-hmm. so if if our work continuing is important to you, then we need... We need your support. And it it does matter. It matters to us. It means a lot to us. And and so figure out what it is that you think you can do to help and you'll have our gratitude. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's gauche to personalize it this much, but it it means a lot to uh that's a melodramatic way to put it. Cause well, no, here's the truth. What will happen is if you don't get it, is not that your children won't have food. What will happen is we'll cut shows. And you'll get a job that makes more money using the same set of skills to serve other people. Right. And that is what will happen. And yeah. That's what we want to avoid. Which is not a threat. It's just the reality. Yeah. So let's not make that the reality. So, okay. Warhornmedia.com forward slash give is where you should go to make one-time tax-deductible donation or set up a recurring tax-deductible donation. Of course, you can support this show specifically at patreon.com forward slash Sanity at the movies, and I don't know. Follow your heart. Yeah, follow your heart. Into the gutter. Into the gutter. <laughs> <laughs>